we are starting a new series today, and we are looking at growing in Christ. And I want to give a bit of intro here on it. We just finished seven weeks on revivals in Scripture and history. We looked at outpourings of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. We looked at uh, when God visits in history, and it was wonderful. I hope you learned some things. I enjoyed looking into that with you, and the Lord was moving, and we want to build on that. And what we're going to begin doing for the next several weeks is what I call irrigation work. Think about what the principle of irrigation is. If there is um, an outflowing of water, it needs to be channeled in different directions. So what we're going to look at the next several weeks is irrigation work. When the Spirit of God is poured out, when the Holy Spirit is moving in our lives, there are certain things that we can do to channel that, to work with it. And so we're going to look for several weeks at different spiritual practices. These are... uh, These are practical ways to cooperate with grace. So I want to take a minute and and look at this. Spiritual practices are simply means or ways to cooperate with God's grace. If God's grace is like a waterfall that's always flowing on us in our lives, there are certain things that we can do to receive that, to cooperate. The truth is you got to get under the waterfall. If you sit back and just watch it, or if I watch other people get in the waterfall, it's not benefiting me might get a little spray, but I have to get under the waterfall. And so what we're going to look at for several weeks is how do we get in God's grace? How do we let the grace of God wash over us to transform us through his presence? I'm also mentioning that these things, spiritual practices, spiritual exercises, they sustain life. And that's what we want. We want mighty outpourings of the Holy Spirit. We want God to visit We want to have ongoing Pentecost, but then we also want to lean into it, and we want to cooperate with God. You visited us, now what do we do? What can we do in the day-to-day, the mundane, to build into that, to put down deep roots? Because you know life is full of all different seasons, right? It's not always wonderful. It's not always revival. It's not always visitation, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There's difficult times, there's deserts, there's dryness. And so these practices that we're going to look at are going to help us sustain life to grow in endurance. And we'll be talking about this at different times. Christian life is a marathon, it's not a sprint. And so these kinds of practices are going to help us to finish well, to run a long race. Today we're going to look at the first, and I would say really this is the taproot of all the other spiritual practices. It's interacting with God through Scripture. And whether you're Protestant or you're Catholic or you're Orthodox, this is the common root for all the different Christian traditions. Meditation on the Word of God posturing ourselves under the waterfall of God's grace with the word open. So what I want to do this morning, it's pretty straightforward. I just want to take a handful of things that unpack what it means to interact with God through Scripture. And hopefully there's a little bit of adjusting that goes on, a little bit of what I call mental chiropractic work, some readjustment, because we're going to find out shortly that We are not called to have a relationship with a book. 
We're called to interact with the living God through his word. And that's a subtle adjustment, but it's super important. Why don't you look in a John 5 at verse 39. We'll have a slide up here. But as I've been saying, we're, uh, I encourage you to bring your Bible. Old school approach. Bring your Bible. There's something nice about it. It's physical. Have it there open before you. Wear those pages out. We're actually in the process of looking at new pew Bibles as well. Yeah, people are real fired up, right? I've been waiting, I've been holding my breath for new pew Bibles. Now, we've got worn out pew Bibles, and we're going to have some in here. Another reason is practically, because if you take your phone out, you can see messages you've got, social media saying, check me out. And so it can be tricky there. All right, so the first thing we're going to see in interacting with God through Scripture in John 5 is that Scripture brings us to the Lord Jesus. Scripture brings us to Jesus. John 5.39 says this, and a little bit of context. Jesus is talking to the religious leaders of the day. These folks knew the Bible inside and out. These were the ones that were constantly confronting him and asking him theological and spiritual questions. And he brings a pretty tough word to them. And embedded in it is something about interacting with God in Scripture. Verse 39, you, religious leaders, search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that testify on my behalf. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So look at this, verse 39. He's telling them, you think that by knowing the scriptures in and of themselves, that is what gives you life. And he says, no. He says, the scriptures point to me. The scriptures are a neon sign that points to the Lord Jesus and says, this is who he is. This is what he does for us. I don't know about you, but... I grew up in a context where we tended to do precisely what is there in verse 39. We oftentimes treasured the scriptures over the living presence of God. Karl Barth, a theologian, said that some Protestant Christians elevate the Bible and create the fourth person of the Holy Trinity. They worship the Bible. And I was in circles like that early on in my Christian walk. People almost seemed more enamored with the Bible than they did the living presence of God. Now, don't don't mishear me here, all right? We love and prize and treasure every word in the Scriptures, do we not? But if we focus on the Scriptures and we're enamored with them and we don't say, Lord Jesus, I want to encounter you. You are the living word. These things point to you. I want to encounter you. Then we're missing something. It's only part of the picture. Right? There's something subtle, too, that happens. I can almost control the way that I read the Bible. I can decide when to do it. I can control what I read. I can do word studies and these kinds of things, but I can't control the Lord Jesus. He is the uncontrollable Lord of the church. Do you see the subtle, the nuance here? We open the scriptures and they bring us to him, into living contact with him. I want to read a beautiful quote by one of my 
favorite Eastern Orthodox brothers, Callistus Ware. And listen to what he says. This is just beautiful. And frankly, it sounds as evangelical as anything I've read. He says this, the real purpose of Bible study is much more than analyzing and gathering information. It is to feed our love for Christ Jesus, to kindle our hearts into prayer, and to provide us with guidance in our personal life. The study of the words should give place, catch this, to an immediate dialogue with the living word himself. Whenever you read the gospel, says one saint, Christ himself is speaking to you. And while you read, you are praying and talking with him. So the first thing that we're seeing here in interacting with God through scripture is it brings us to the Lord Jesus. A second thing is the scripture reveals Christ. Look at Luke 24. I won't read the the whole section. You can go back. I encourage you to take notes. This would be a good thing. In the coming days, we're going to talk a little bit more about this. Some of us uh, find it challenging. What should I read during the week? Well, you can take this on a Sunday, take some notes, and go back and meditate into these passages. Laying some things out, you could take one a day. Interact with God through Scripture even this coming week. A second thing here is that Scripture, when we interact with God, it reveals Christ. And in this passage, it's a post-resurrection appearance, Luke 24, 13 through 35, and I'll just give you a little thumbnail sketch of what's happening here, and then we'll look at one particular piece. But Luke 24, 13 through 35, the resurrected Jesus is basically appearing and walking with two disciples. He asks them in verses 17 to 24, hey, what are you talking about? What are you discussing? And then, verses 25 through 27, he opens the scriptures to them and tells them things about himself. And then, verses 28 through 35, he breaks bread with them. So what I want us to do, I want us to look at 25 through 27 here of Luke 24. I'm going to read it. And again, what we're looking for is how are we interacting with God through his word? Verse 25 says this, Then he, Jesus, said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself and all the scriptures. How would you have liked to have heard that sermon? Best sermon ever, ever preached. But it's showing us that the scriptures not only bring us to Jesus, but they declare who he is. And this is the Hebrew Bible. This is the Old Testament. So what Jesus is saying is there is a Christ-centered understanding to the whole of scripture. There is a way to read the Old Testament and understand that it's all prophetically pointing to the person of Jesus. And so he shows them those things. Some of these things we've looked at in recent months, things like Psalm 110 and Psalm 16, Isaiah 53, which clearly describes the crucified and raised Messiah. So he's showing them these scriptures reveal who I am. What's fascinating, let's look down at verse 28. Look what happens to them as he explains 
Verse 28 says this, As they came near, so the three of them are walking together, they came near to the village where they were going. He walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Look at verse 31. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Look what they said to one another. Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? So this passage is showing us here that scripture reveals Christ, and it causes the heart to burn. How beautiful is that? When's the last time you opened the word, you prayed, and your heart burned? Burned with love. You realized, ah, Father, you love me so much. I feel it deep down. Lord, you are a consuming fire, and I feel your consuming love for me right now. That's what I'm inviting us into as a church. Lord, this is... This is beautiful. I'm inviting you in to experience the consuming fire of God's love in the person of Jesus as revealed in Scripture. He loves us. He loves us. And our hearts can burn. I think it's also they're resonating with the truth of what he's saying. If the word of God is preached accurately, your heart burns. That is true. I concur with what's being preached there. The world is uh, ice cold, isn't it? Oftentimes when we're out there during the week, you're at school, you're at work, you're interacting with difficult family, friends. And so what we do each week is we come and sit around the bonfire of the word. Every week we get the opportunity to open the scriptures. We sing the scriptures. The songs are rooted in scripture. We open the scriptures and we gather around the fire of the Lord together. What an opportunity. I think sometimes we've just got to be reminded what a privilege, how beautiful this is. We get to hear the word of God. And the Lord makes our hearts burn with his love. A third thing here that happens as we interact with God through scripture is that it heals and delivers us. Look at Psalm 107 verse 20. It's a very short verse here that explains what the word of God does when it is sent. Psalm 107, verse 20. And in the psalm, there are a number of different crises that are happening. People are wandering in the desert. Some are imprisoned. Some are sick in different ways. Some are stormed, tossed in different situations. And Psalm 107, 20 says this. The Lord sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from destruction. So when we interact with God through his word, he is healing and delivering us. Does anybody need some healing and deliverance this morning? I certainly do. I want that on a daily basis. Lord, would you heal me? Would you deliver me? We're not going to look at this, but write down Ezekiel 37, 4 through 6. 
And the prophet Ezekiel is told by the Lord to speak out his word. And I think there's a principle for us. During the week, regularly, we receive the word of God. It heals the heart, heals the mind, heals the soul. It delivers us. But there is an act for us to engage in, and that is speaking it out, to speak out the word of God, to declare it. And Ezekiel 37 speaks of this, prophesy, speak out the word of God to these dry bones and say, hear the word of the Lord and breath will enter them. So what we're doing in our time with the Lord, whether it's just us one-on-one or we're with friends or we're with a, a prayer group, the word of God is coming to us. The word of God is bringing healing and deliverance and then we speak it out. Sometimes I think of it as preaching to my own heart. My time with the Lord, certain mornings, I need to hear the Word of God. And so I will pace around. I'll find a place where I can walk. I open the Scriptures, and my heart is cold. I may be in a dark place, and I begin to speak it out. Lord, you've sent your Word. It heals me. It delivers me. I receive that right now. I'm meditating aloud, and my neighbors probably think I'm crazy if they could see in my house, or sometimes I do it on the back porch, but I don't care. A fourth thing here that happens as we interact with God through Scripture is it transforms and renews hearts and minds. Look at Romans 12. This is a well-known passage for this. It's a touchstone passage for transformation through the Word of God. I don't know about you, but revisiting some of these passages makes me actually excited about the opportunity to interact with God rather than dreading it. Oh my gosh, I've got to do a devotion. I've got to do quiet time and check it off the list. The Lord is inviting you into intimate communion with himself through his word and transformation happens. Romans 12, 1 to 2, the Apostle Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so the Lord is showing us through this passage that interacting with him involves presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice and letting his word wash over us and transform our minds and hearts. Another passage that is fitting that connects with this is Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. And it really is, it's about the the greater mystery of Christ and his bride, and there's instruction in there for a husband and wife relating to one another, but he's, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 is actually telling us something important about the Word of God. Look at it. Ephesians 5, 25 says this, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in order to make her holy by cleansing her with what? the washing of water by the word. For this purpose, so as to present the church to himself in splendor without a spot or wrinkle or any of the kind, 
so that she may be holy and without blemish. Friends, we're the bride. You are the bride of Christ. He is committed to seeing that your life is holy and radiant. He is more committed to this than you and I are. He wants you to shine with the glory of God. He wants to renew your mind and heart through his word, if we'll let him. Isaiah 30, 18 says the Lord longs to be gracious to us. Jesus longs to wash our minds through his word. Yesterday, after, I don't know, maybe eight weeks of needing to wash our car, we went to the car wash. We pulled in there, and I was actually thinking about this passage. I don't know if we could have had any more grime on that thing. You could hardly identify it was a Toyota. It was like grime upon grime, and it had graffiti that was growing all over the back of it. So I thought, it is time to get in the car wash now. This is making me anxious. So we went into the car wash and I was thinking about this passage. This is what I do each day when I get up and spend time with the Lord. I go through his car wash. My mind and my heart needs washing and renewing and transformation. Soot gathers there. Sometimes I have a day where I'm going right through the mud and it shows. I can feel it. And so, Lord, would you wash and renew my mind through your word this morning? Very quickly here, two other things that happen as we interact with God through Scripture. It grows us. Look at this one passage, 1 Peter 2, 2 through 3. This is a remarkable passage here. It's often misunderstood because the Apostle Peter is actually talking to the whole church and saying, I want you to act like babies. What? Look at this. 1 Peter 2, 2 through 3. Peter says this, Like newborn infants long for the pure milk, pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So the apostle Peter is saying to them, Be like those little babies. When they want milk... Am I right, mothers? There's no stopping it. They're going to let the whole house know. I want milk. I must have milk. If I don't get milk, I will wake the whole house up and the neighbors. And Peter is saying, do that. Crave, long for the word of God. Pure spiritual milk. In the ancient world, those who sold milk, actually, they would sometimes uh, dilute it and put water in it, stretch it out, make it go further. And and Peter says, the word of God is undiluted nourishment for all Christians. It is how you grow so long, crave, cry out for it. Something that's interesting here, this phrase at the end of verse 2 says, so that by it you may grow into salvation. What do you mean by that? Peter, grow into salvation? It's analogous to something like if I told Scott Duncan, you're growing into manhood. 
You're growing into maturity. It's basically becoming who you are. So at age 13, we would have said, grow into the person that you are. And that's what Peter is saying here. You are saved. The word of God is implanted in you. All that God has for you, you get to live into it, to grow into it. How? By nourishing yourself, by being nourished through the word of God. A final thing here, the sixth and final dynamic that happens as we interact with God through Scripture is it defeats spiritual enemies. Look at Ephesians 6, 17 and 18. As we interact with God through his word, our spiritual enemies are defeated. Ephesians 6, 17 through 18. Before we do that, I just, I'm having a little nudge. I, I ask, Lord, that you would quicken something in us right now. Lord, that you would take this beyond words and you would actually awaken our Lords. Everyone here, from the youngest to the oldest, that we would crave, that we would long for, that we would cry out for this pure spiritual milk of the word. Lord, would you sovereignly do that so that in the coming days we would see one another and say to one another, I am longing for more, more of God and his word. All right, Ephesians 6, 17 to 18 says this, take the helmet of salvation and the apostle Paul is talking about the armor of God and he says, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times, in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Hebrews 4.12 says that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. This is an offensive weapon we're talking about here. Oftentimes, we sit back and take it on the chin over and over from the enemy. And the Apostle Paul is saying, you have at your disposal the sword of the Spirit. Notice here, it's the Word and the Spirit. The Spirit brings the Word. There's no difference between the two. It is the sword that belongs to and is breathed into by the Spirit. We're not going to look at this, but write it down and look at it later. Matthew 4 and Luke 4 give the most vivid example of someone taking up the sword of the Spirit and using it to cut down spiritual enemies. What's happening in Matthew 4? Some of you Bible bowlers out there. Matthew 4, Luke 4. Jesus in the wilderness. He's being tempted. And so what does he do? The enemy comes to him three times, and each time, what does he do? He says, it is written. He wields the sword of the Spirit in a very precise way. The early church calls it counter-speaking. And so you have specific promises, specific words to address specific temptations, specific chinks in the armor. And so Jesus who has no chinks in his armor, is being tempted and he is saying, it is written, it is written, it is written. And he defeats the enemy and leaves the church a model for all time. So what I want to do here as we end 
is that I want us to think about specific areas where the enemy works you over. Don't want you to meditate on it, but I just want you to think one or two things that these are my buttons. This is how the enemy comes to me. Maybe it's comparison. Maybe it's self-image. It's body. Maybe it's uh, lust. Maybe it's anxiety. And this morning, I'm urging you to find specific promises from Scripture to counter-speak, to wield the sword of the Spirit as you interact with God through Scripture. I've mentioned over and over again the Jesus prayer out of Luke 17 and 18 is my favorite go-to prayer. When the enemy comes to me from within or without, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. So it bonds me to him, unites me to him, and it pushes back the enemy. Another is Psalm 70, verse 1. Get ready because it's really long. Help, Lord. (laughs) Psalm 70, verse 1. It was a favorite of the the Desert Fathers, the early church. Help, Lord. So if something comes against me, help me, Lord. I cling to you. I am yours. So, Lord, I, I thank you for the opportunity to look at interacting with you through your word. I'm just sensing some people might be a little weary, might need a fresh infusion, being freshly invigorated. So Lord, I pray for that this morning. I pray for the grace of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit through the word of God. Lord, we look to you. You're a good father. Only you can do this inside of us. So I ask for that today. I ask that your people, your church, your saints would feel it operating. Longing for the word of God.